Well, this past week, uh, Carrie and I were trying to get some work done after the boys were in bed sleeping. And I said, as I have many times before, I want to turn something on the TV that doesn't occupy too much of my attention, uh, something that I can watch and I don't have to think too much about. Carrie replied, well, remember, Man of the House is now on Disney+. Plus." If you don't know what this movie is, it's a movie that I loved as a kid and teenager. It's a 90s movie starring Chevy Chase, uh, Farrah Fawcett, and young Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And it's a great movie. I love it. Uh, but it's, it's a serious story. Farrah's first husband uh, abandons his family at the very beginning of the movie, the first scene of the movie, and it obviously causes damage for Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Ben is his name in the movie, and his mom, played by Farrah Fawcett. Ben's mom, soon after, begins dating again, and according to Ben, none of these men stuck around for various reasons. Well, that is until Jack, played by Chevy Chase, shows up. Ben does everything in his power to get rid of Jack because he's scared and he fears losing his mom, the closest person in the world he has. Ben says to Jack, I have a plan. He says this away from Jack, but his plan is to join this group, this YMCA group called the Indian Guides. And in this group, he knows that Jack is going to become annoyed. He doesn't want to do this anymore. And his hope is that he will quit, resulting in the relationship between Ben's mom and Jack falling apart. Ben's plan seems to be working all too well. Jack immediately becomes frustrated, immediately thinks that it's, it's corny what they're doing, just doesn't enjoy it, and wants to quit. Uh, in the middle of Jack growing frustrated, and he's, he's getting frustrated with the responsibilities at work, his responsibilities with uh, this new relationship he has with Ben, he goes to another dad to ask for advice. The advice that this dad gives him is not, ah, It'll get better. Just suffer through it. His advice isn't, I'm sorry, man. I'll pray for you. Instead, this dad identifies with Jack. He says that he understands exactly what he's going through because he dealt with the same exact situation. And then he tells Jack to go down to Ben's level, to embrace their relationship even further. He tells him Ben is afraid of loss. Ben is scared. So you must meet him where he is and love him. This is exactly what Jack does, and his relationship with Ben only grows and grows. Now, this might seem like a silly illustration to begin this morning, but I believe it captures so well the point that Paul is making at the start of our passage. Up to this point in the letter, we have seen multiple times this plea from Paul for eliminating distractions, removing anything that could be a hindrance to the gospel. If you haven't seen this so far, you haven't been with us, in chapter one, we learned that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but God's power to us who are being saved. We do not need to make any divisions saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos. These are distractions. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 
In chapter 2, Paul explains that he did not come to the church in Corinth with lofty speech, but he came to them with that, what they needed, the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. No distractions. In chapter 3, again, he gave them milk, not solid food, so they could understand the foundation of the gospel, Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, Paul considers himself last as he, has, as he has made himself low to proclaim Christ to this church. In chapters 5 through 7, we see him saying we need to eliminate distractions within the church that are hindering the gospel from being proclaimed and lived out. In chapter 8, we read that food offered to idols, uh, we read about food offered to idols and that we must care for those whose conscience is bothered by eating such food for the sake of the gospel. We continue to see this truth this morning in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Believers, everything we do, the reason we live is for the sake of the gospel. In an opening illustration, Jack, in our opening illustration, Jack is told to lower himself to meet Ben where he is and to love him. While this is an imperfect illustration, Sometimes as believers, we miss this exact instruction when it comes to us living out the gospel. This morning, I want to look at two instructions, two instructions to embrace this phrase for the sake of the gospel. Two instructions to embrace for the sake of the gospel. First, Believers make adjustments for the sake of the gospel. Believers make adjustments for the sake of the gospel. I love how Paul starts out this passage by using contrasting statements to make his point. Look at verse 19 again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul has just said in the previous verses what a gift it is to preach the gospel free of charge. His reward is the proclamation of the grace of God. He exercises his rights by preaching the gospel freely. The grace of God in the person of Jesus has set Paul free, has set the believer free from the confines of the law. Where the law broke man, enslaved man, pointed out man's slavery to sin. Jesus, the law of liberty, the gospel, freed man, liberated man. Paul lives out his freedom in Christ. He fully embraces his gospel freedom. How? How does Paul say, I have this newfound freedom in Christ. I am free because Christ has set me free from being a slave to sin. How? Does Paul say he exercises that freedom? This is the contrast. Paul says even though he's completely free in Christ, free to live, he uses his freedom to become a servant to all. Paul uses opposing statements to bring out his point. The believer uses their freedom in and through Christ to lower themselves. Not to become rich. Not to obtain power not to have authority. We exercise our freedom to the fullest extent by becoming servants. He says his freedom is defined by service to others. He serves all for the sake of the gospel. 
Listen, using our freedom for selfish gain would not only be misusing our freedom, but it would be wasting our freedom because it isn't being used to its fullest extent. It's not being fully embraced as it should. No, there's a reason for using our freedom to lower ourselves. It has a grand purpose. The purpose of this gospel freedom, the purpose of the believer's life is that I might win more of them. That's how he ends verse 19. I use my freedom to become a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is Paul's aim and motivation. In his book, Evangelism, J. Max Stiles uh, defines evangelism as teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Not manipulation, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Paul's not condoning manipulation here. He is proclaiming the laying aside of all hindrances, all obstacles for the sake of the gospel. Freedom is used to serve that we might win them to Christ. Paul is using his free life to lay it down. Believer, listen, my life is nothing were it not for the gospel. My freedom is non-existent were it not for the gospel. My freedom is only for the sake of the gospel. Of the gospel. My rights find their meaning in the gospel. In verse 20, Paul goes on and we read, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul could speak, he could witness, he could bond with the Jews in a different way than he did with the Gentiles. Paul's point is not to become a deceitful chameleon and blend in wherever you are and tell people what they want to hear on one side and what they want to hear on the other side and be this sort of middleman who, who blends in wherever they are deceitfully through manipulation. He's not claiming to use schemes or tricks to win people to Christ. He's doing exactly what he had said in verse 19. He's exercising his freedom to the fullest extent by serving whoever is in front of him. The Jew will understand and listen to the gospel differently than the Gentile. It isn't that the gospel changes. Paul did not change the gospel by a single word. The message does not change. It's the method which is used to reach an understanding of the gospel that is different. Paul knew all too well what a Pharisee needed to hear since he had been a Pharisee himself. He knew what the law must be, that the law must be discussed differently to the Jew than the Gentile because they viewed it drastically different. Paul is modeling exactly what Jesus did. He's doing exactly what Jesus did. Jesus taught this way. With the students on, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And Jesus does this all the time. And I think so often, it's amazing to me how often we, me included, miss what Jesus does in his teaching. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee of Jewish birth, who thinks he is okay. He thinks he is safe because of his Jewish birth. And Jesus teaches Nicodemus about spiritual birth, that his physical birth doesn't matter unless he's born again. There's a reason Jesus taught Nicodemus that way. In John chapter 6, we have this well-known story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
This happens around the time of of Passover celebration, a, a time when Jews remember God delivering them from bondage and feeding them in the wilderness. This day after feeding 5,000, the crowd finds Jesus and Jesus begins to teach in a way that every Jew should have understood. He talked about their fathers who ate manna in the wilderness. He talked about Moses who, who delivered the law, not being the giver of the bread, but only a recipient. Then Jesus says this bread himself This living bread, this bread of life is also from God and that it surpasses the Moses or the bread Moses had and the other Israelite fathers. And it surpasses the bread that he fed them the day before. Their fathers ate and died. But this bread of life, they can eat and never die. Are we missing how Jesus taught this Jewish audience because we're so wrapped up in the story itself? Jesus links Passover, feeding the 5,000, manna given to, God, to Moses by God, this bread of life sent by God in order to connect the Jew to who he is and what he came to do. Jesus, the son, fully God, fully man, is Paul's example that he's following in teaching this way. His freestanding, his free status is to become a servant for the sake of the gospel. And think about what Jesus did. He became the suffering servant in order to redeem what we had destroyed. Think about Jesus having all authority, having all freedom being God, and using that authority to be a servant who would die. You think Paul's example isn't Christ? Paul becomes like a Jew so those adhering to the law or under the law or enslaved to the law might know this same freedom that Paul has in Christ. And this is your call, believer. This is my call. We don't change the gospel in any way, but we lay aside our own rights. We lay aside our own lives for the sake of the gospel. We don't create any obstacles to the gospel. He's not saying the gospel itself won't be a stumbling block, by the way. He's not saying exactly what he claimed in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, that it won't be folly to some. But he's also not saying his motivation for eliminating obstacles and being careful with people's consciences is for the purpose of not offending others. Our motivation is not protecting ourselves or our own reputation. He is not compromising truth that might come off as offensive. No, we eliminate obstacles for the sake of the gospel. So even though Paul fully knows Jesus has purchased freedom from the law, even though Christ has died so that we aren't subject to the penalty of the law, he will use that freedom to adhere and uphold the law if it means the gospel is proclaimed obstacle-free to the lawkeeper. Thomas Schreiner says, Paul was happy to live according to the law to convert those under the law but he himself was free from its prescriptions as he lived in a new era of redemptive history inaugurated by Jesus Christ. It was his joy, and it should be ours, to live for the sake of the gospel and make whatever necessary adjustments to lower ourselves and meet people where they are. This was his joy, and this must be ours. We make adjustments for the sake of the gospel. It's our highest motivation. 
Verse 21 continues, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Listen, Paul's not saying the law is useless. He is again saying he can reach those outside the law by not adhering to what Christ has freed him from. Paul explains that the law of God is not discarded because it is still based in the attributes of God. But the law is no longer the primary authority of the believer. It is valuable, but the believer is not under the law, but under grace. They are under the law of Christ, which states freedom is only found in Christ. It's not found in the law. Not just freedom from the law, but freedom to do all, like Paul is saying, and I'm gonna keep using this phrase, for the sake of the gospel. Freedom to preach Christ crucified. Freed to preach because of the sacrifice of Christ, an end to sacrificial law. Listen, because of the sacrifice of Christ, an end to sacrificial law. Free to preach a new culture of salvation for Jew, Gentile, slave-free, man, woman, because cultural law had been laid to rest. Again, Schreiner says, the law of Christ includes the moral norms of the Old Testament law. As Romans 13, 8 through 10 indicates, those laws continue to be authoritative, not because they are part of the Mosaic law, but because they constitute God's character. The reason the law is valuable is because the attributes of God are reflected in that law. But God, Jesus summed up that law in two things. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving others as you love yourself. Again, it is all so they might know Christ. That's the motivation. It's all so they might know they have freedom of the gospel, freedom in Christ. Verse 22, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. To those who are suffering, those who have little, the oppressed, the poor, the sick, the feeble, we become weak. So that in our weakness, the strength of God might be more obvious. The power of God might be more clear. And what is the power of God that we learn in Romans? The gospel. We become weak so the gospel will shine forth. Paul never claims that he has any power to save anyone, and neither do we. He says we get out of the way so that people might be saved. I can't tell you the number of times, church, and I say this humbly, realizing my fault, I can't tell you the number of times that I have been an obstacle to the gospel. I can't tell you the number of times that I've gotten in the way. We must provide the clearest path possible for the gospel to be received. That's our role. To get out of the way so the gospel will shine forth. We make adjustments for the sake of the gospel, nothing else. Second, believers take aim for the sake of the gospel. We take aim for the sake of the gospel. Our adjustments and our aim are both hinged on this one statement that I've been repeating an awful lot, for the sake of the gospel. That's where our adjustments and that's where our aim find their center. 
It's our motivation for adjusting and it's our motivation for our aim. Verse 23 says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the statement of the whole chapter, of all of chapter nine. Paul only lived for sin before Christ made himself known to him. Paul and us were slaves to sin, only carrying out the desires of the flesh before Christ freed us from this bondage. And think about how Paul goes back to contrasting statements with this truth. I feel like the whole passage is full of contrast. And I feel like contrast gives us such a clear picture. We use our freedom to become slaves so that other people know, might know what freedom looks like. We, we talk about our previous, previous slavery that these people are in, that unbelievers are in, so they might know the freedom we now have in Christ that they can have. So the greatest way we can show our freedom is by being a slave to all. It's an amazing picture that he gives. Because now the, whole, the believer's whole being exists for the sake of the gospel. It's this picture that Romans 6 gives us. Romans 6, this entire chapter, should I go on sinning so that grace may abound more and more? In other words, should I sin more so that more grace covers my sin? So if I have this small pile of sin and it's just really tiny, I'm only gonna have a tiny amount of grace to cover that small sin. So should I make my pile of sin bigger so that more grace gets heaped onto this pile of sin? And Paul's answer is absolutely not, by no means. May it never be. And he says, you are no longer slaves of sin. And he uses this confusing picture to us because they both seem like negative terms. He says, you're slaves to righteousness. And yet one slavery is defined by misery, by death, by hardship, by never being satisfied. And the other slavery is actually defined by freedom. Freedom to live for the purpose we were created for, to exist in relationship with our God who we were made in the image of and we were made to look like. And now because of freedom in Christ, we can look like him. This is what we have in the gospel. Believers, listen, you breathe for the sake of the gospel. You eat for the sake of the gospel. You live for the sake of the gospel. In fact, the only reason you know life is the gospel. In the gospel, creation, man, is restored to where they can exist in relationship with God and worship and enjoy him forever. Were it not for the reality of the gospel, we can never do anything for the sake of the gospel. Paul could never make the statement, I do all for the sake of the gospel because he wouldn't know this gospel. What a blessing it is to be free to serve for the sake of the gospel. What a joy it is that we get to use our gospel freedom to proclaim freedom in the gospel. Our aim is this, discipline that is a blessing because of the gospel. Self-control that is a joy because its foundation is in the gospel. 
John Piper says our aim, like Paul's, is to save people from the wrath of God and to win them for eternal life. And in loving people like this, we prove the reality of our own faith and confirm our, our own participation in the gospel. What Paul has been proclaiming in verses 19 through 22 is the same truth he is proclaiming in verses 24 through 27. Verse 23 holds these two passages together, holds these two sections together beautifully. Let's reread verses 24 through 27 really quickly. Verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It may seem like the focus has shifted from evangelism of others to personal discipline. It may seem like verses 19 through 22 really focus on evangelizing others persuading others to the truth of the gospel, and then verses 24 through 27 look inward. But I assure you that's not what's happening. From verse 19 to verse 27, Paul has the believer at the center of his instruction and how the gospel must be lived because it affects our witness. In other words, what Paul has been doing from verse 19 all the way to verse 27 is saying, if we are doing all for the sake of the gospel, our lives that we live and our gospel that we preach will match up. Stephen Um says, Paul's point was that discipline is absolutely essential, not to our progress in the Christian life, but to our witness in the world. Let me read that again. Paul's point was that discipline is absolutely essential, not to our progress in the Christian life, but to our witness in the world. Listen, the believer's aim, your aim, if you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your claim is to to model Your purpose is to model for a broken and fallen world the freedom we have in Christ to live for him, to exist in relationship with him, to serve him. That's what you're modeling for the world. This is the reality of verses 24 through 27. Paul gives this picture of of a race and he starts with this rhetorical question. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? No one sits for the race. No one walks. A runner, by very definition, runs. They have a goal. They have an aim. And I don't think the goal that Paul is talking about is eternal life here. Because that has been purchased for us through the death and resurrection of Christ. And Paul full well knew that. He's talking about doing everything for the sake of the gospel. So he already knows this. The goal, the prize, the aim is for others to see us running the race well and long for this same gospel, long for this same freedom. So here's your charge, believer, run well. 
Take this race set before you and run, laying aside every distraction, every obstacle, not only, not only in an evangelistic perspective, lay aside every weight that is preventing you from running out the gospel well. Lay aside everything that's preventing you from pursuing holiness. Lay aside everything that's preventing you, as Ephesians 2 talks about. We like to point at verses 8 and 9 and say, it's for by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we ignore verse 10. For we are, are the, the work of God. We are God's workmanship, Christ's workmanship, created in Christ for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So because of the grace that we've received, because of the faith we have, not by any works that we've done, not by anything we, that we've accomplished, God has prepared works beforehand for us as this new creation in Christ to live out this new life in Christ. We are the, the redeeming work of Christ in display, visual evidence for this world to see his work and to live, to run well, to lay aside every weight that is preventing us from running this gospel well. My aim, your aim is to run well, casting off sin that entangles us as a witness to the truth of the gospel in us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's your aim. We must see this as a world witnesses our lives as transformed by the gospel, as they witness our lives, as we claim, as we sing, as we listen, as we recite truth that we have been transformed by the gospel, here's my question. Are they really witnessing lives transformed by the gospel? Are they really seeing lives transformed by the gospel? Believer, run for his glory. Run for the good of others. Run laying aside your rights for the sake of the gospel. Run laying aside any privileges you think you have for, for the love of others. Just like an athlete who cares what goes into their body so that the outward performance of their body can excel, the believer eliminates anything that could be an obstacle to slow them down in living out the gospel. We must never think our living has nothing to do with our witness. We are self-controlled for the sake of the gospel. No hindrances to ruin our claim of Christ. Does that mean you're gonna be perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean you're leaning on the one who, who died in your place because you couldn't redeem yourself? Absolutely whether we are at work, home, our neighborhoods, our schools, in church, or in the world, we do all for the sake of the gospel. We don't come in here and do everything for the sake of the gospel and then walk out into our workplaces and do everything for the sake of Corey. Do everything for the sake of fill in the blank with your name. We do not run this race, live this life aimlessly or without purpose. Runners run for a prize that fades. It means nothing. But we run the race that is set before us. 
in this race that is set before us is to proclaim the gospel, live out the gospel, and the result is eternal joy. It doesn't fade. It doesn't wither. His worship through eliminating all obstacles to the gospel only results in our greatest joy. The freedom we have in Christ is proclaimed freely so others may joyfully have that same freedom. We use our freedom to say what a joy it is to have this freedom, that others desire that freedom. That is eternal. The aim of all aims is for the sake of the gospel. I live the life of freedom in Christ, led by the Spirit, worshiping God because of the gospel. If our aim really is for the sake of the gospel, then all of our control is focused towards that end. Listen, believers, we live out the gospel we claim. If we proclaim the gospel and yet do not live it, it is merely head knowledge that does not save. The gospel changes the heart of man. And so, if man continues living out their slavery to sin, they don't have freedom in Christ. If someone is still living in their slavery to sin, they don't have freedom in Christ. They merely proclaimed freedom and continued living out slavery. If you are in Christ, you are preaching the gospel that transformed you. Every breath is for the sake of the gospel. Listen, in Christ, for the sake of Corey, myself, has been put to death because that's no life at all. It's a mirage. Life is found in for the sake of the gospel because the gospel is where my lie of for the sake of Corey that can only bring death was put to death. If you do not know this gospel, if you do not know the hope and life offered only in Jesus, we'd love to talk to you before you leave. Maybe you've tried to live a good life and it's hopeless. Maybe you feel weak. Maybe you've been cast to the side. I just want to stand up here and say the gospel is your only hope. And I pray, I pray that this church, may we as a church, as First Baptist Alcoa, be willing to make every adjustment for the sake of the gospel. May we as a church take aim to live for the sake of the gospel, not within these walls, but in the, within these walls as well, to one another. May we live out the gospel and then go from this place. And when we say, First Baptist Alcoa, you are sent. Go into this world and do exactly this. Make adjustments to reach others for Christ. Take aim to reach others for Christ. It doesn't fade. The joy is unending because it's not wrapped up in who I am. It's wrapped up in who he is and what he's already done that I could never do. Let's pray.